Hey everyone, this is Dr. Michael Wald. Yes, you are here again, listening to Ask the Blood Detective. For those of you who have never, ever heard my show before, welcome and thank you so much. The listenership is increasing all the time. The number of emails that I'm getting uh, increases all the time, uh, expressing uh, the value of the show, which makes me so happy. Uh, again, I'm listening to you. I'm trying to do the, top, do the topics that, that you want to hear. So, And that's what we're going to do today. So the topic today I call every organ of your body a quick and concise review. You know, doing this show all the time and talking about the different topics, we talk about detox and we talk about pH and we talk about the adrenals and we talk about the, the role of absorption and, and diseases, autoimmune diseases. I thought what I would do is have a show that really is a mini class that puts it all together because it is all together. You know, I've talked about in other shows uh, some of the shortcomings of the pro uh, professional education, whether it's even natural uh, programs, uh, many of them, I'm, I'm generalizing of course, but natural programs, chiropractic programs, naturopathic programs, even acupuncture programs, medical programs certainly, there is a lack of integration teaching, meaning it's one thing to say to students, hey, it's all connected, and then start to talk about one way of doing things for three or four years, depending on the school. Um, so I thought what I would do is talk about our quote-unquote separate organ systems, but then describe how they work together. And it's so hard to, to even contemplate this conversation, even for me, because I'm a, I'm a student of semantics. I like to study the meaning of words, the meaning of meaning. And there are, there are so many problems with uh, what's known as the Aristotelian, the Aristotle language of which we, all of us, practically um, function within. And the language that we use uh, has opened up the universe to us in many ways and has limited us in many ways because of the limitations of the structure of our language. So I'll give you a quick example. So let's say there is an African tribe, and this is true, uh, that has no word for war. Well, guess what happens? They don't fight. So literally, the language, the structure of our language can create the universe through which we perceive. You know, I heard a quote that I think sums it up, and it, it goes something like this. Things are not what they are. They are what we perceive they are. And practically all of us have heard about and understand how our perception, the veil through which we view the universe, if it's rose-colored, then we have a rose-colored universe. It is so fascinating how human beings work. And if you'd like to, 
to study a little bit more in this area, to think about this, there is a wonderful book called The Story of Language by Mario Pei, P-E-I. And there is yet another book that uh, changed how I think about everything. And it's called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. How they talk about shifts in perception and in thinking cause dramatic changes in the world um, or reflect changes in the world. One more. There's another book that I believe was written in the 40s and it's called Science and Sanity. Science and Sanity by Borzybski. No, I cannot spell it. Sorry about that. Science and Sanity by Borzybski. That's about a 600-page book. I've been reading it for over 25 years. And it's published by the General Semantics Institute. And there is not a page that I can turn that does not make me realize how small I am and how little I understand and how understanding is relative and all of these mind-boggling but fascinating ways of thinking about things. What I get from, or what I've gotten from my studies of general semantics, the, the meaning of words, is how they make or break us, basically. If, on a practical level, if I am saying to one of my patients that you have this holistic body, everything works together, and then I give them one or two supplements or a specific diet to follow, that automatically, I would say, is not giving proper respect to, to the holistic facts of the universe. Meaning, everything everywhere affects everything. I suppose the butterfly effect would be an example of that concept, which has been, which has been uh, discussed and thought about and even uh, promoted by a quantum physicist as a reality of the relatedness of the universe. And then, I'm in my office right now and I'm looking at a picture that I have. It's an original print of uh, Albert Einstein, and he invented, he had the mindfulness of saying, well, you know, I have a theory of relativity, and he wasn't just discussing how one planet, if it shifts slightly, another planet nearby or not nearby will, would move, and that would cause this shift or multiple things moving at the same time. That's also a very... Uh, uh, a poor description of the theory of relativity. Uh, in fact, it's nothing like the theory of relativity, but I was trying to make a point that Einstein in the world of physics found and realized that at the time he was prominent, physicists simply could not explain certain phenomenon that they were faced with, which is true in every time, by the way. That, that'll probably never stop. Um, but who am I to say? But probably it won't. And he knew that in order for him to have new answers to phenomenon that were otherwise unexplainable by the physicists at that time using the tools of their trade, he knew he had to reinvent the whole language of physics. 
the whole language of the universe, actually, which is the theory of relativity. Some of you are saying, no, 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 Dr. Wall, he didn't invent the, you know, the theory. He didn't, well, he did invent the theory probably, but he didn't invent the phenomenon. He just noticed it and he wrote about it and he wrote the math, which again, mathematics is such a fascinating thing, how it explains how the universe works and it predicts so many things. The, the structure of math does that. It's fascinating. I wish I had that appreciation of math when I was in high school. Because although I liked math in high school, I did. I, I liked algebra. I liked geometry. It was very hard for me to learn math. But I did it. I studied three times harder than anyone else. I was an A student, but that's what it took. But, if, but I had no appreciation of equations. When something goes up, something else might go down. Just simple things like that. Um, but today I do. And I recently did an entire course on algebra and geometry just to relearn it with the concepts that I know now. And you know what? As you might have guessed, it's all different because I'm different. So the universe we view within our own veil of perception. As our perceptions change, so does the universe. If your neurotransmitters in your brain do not work well, if the serotonin levels drop, those things that were in your life before you that had you, quote unquote, had you feel a certain way, you will find were never the things that had you feel anything. It's your brain chemistry that did or your lack of brain chemistry. So this whole conversation is just a prelude for a much simpler conversation, I think, at least uh, for the, the rest of the show, on how your organs relate to one another. Now, the reason I went off on this seeming tangent about the, of words and the meanings of words is because I just said to you how organs relate to one another. What, what do you think, if I pose the question to you, what is inherently wrong with that statement? How the organs relate to one another. What's wrong with that is using the word relate or relationship implies that one or more things were put together in a way so they're related as opposed to they were just one thing. It's all one thing. And you may think that's a, an unimportant distinction, possibly, and some of you may think, no, that's interesting, um, is because when we really get this relatedness, then how you live in the world changes. How you approach your health will change. So when you go to your physicians, let's say, who do not believe in natural medicine, and you say, Dr. Wald, I don't understand. I go to these seemingly bright people. They work in this ivory tower and this ivory tower. And, and patients will also say to me, Dr. Wald, haven't you heard of them? And I'll say, no. Um, I've never heard of anyone that someone's ever said that to me about, which means that the doctors themselves have tried to promote themselves as being superior in some way. But, but the point is, though, why can't these individuals, these physicians, and I'm, again, generalizing, we never want to generalize unless we state we're generalizing, why do, do one of these physicians understand natural medicine and holistic health and 
it just seems so apparent and it seems so obvious that everything requires nutrition and we need a healthy diet and what diet can't fulfill, we need nutritional supplements to make up for that and that we're affected by electromagnetic and other forms of radiation around us and uh, changes uh, can occur in human beings when the, when the moon shifts or when the sun gives off a flare or countless other ways in which we're affected by the universe that we'll never know. And you know, folks, we think we know all the ways, but we, we kind of act like we think we know, even though we know we don't. So if I ask you to list, what are all the ways in which your body's affected, uh, your health is affected? And you might say, well, genetics and my lifestyle and all the things you just rattled off, Dr. Wald, food and electromagnetic stuff and toxins and things of that nature. And some of you are thinking of yet other things. But the point is, I promise you, that is a tiny dot in the number, not even that probably, in the plethora of, 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 of influences uh, upon which we are affected. And maybe one day we'll know more about those things and we might discover a few of those things that affect our health and when we focus on them and if we have ways in which we can affect them in a way that then translates to our health, we find that all these difficult diseases we're trying to beat go away. This problem with thinking, we all suffer from it. I had a patient, he could not understand what he was doing wrong in his lifestyle because he got a heart attack. I keep thinking about him because it's fascinating. Smart man, clearly intelligent. Why, Dr. Wald, I ate this way, I I do dancing, I took my supplements, a lot of them, I took the right ones. How could this happen? The first thing I said was, it happened. The second thing I said was, even if you did everything right, and you could have done everything right within what we know is right, it's not enough. Some things you just can't beat. Or any number of reasons. Well, maybe he didn't do things right. I said, your supplements are crap. That could be it. <laughs> and, um, or what he thought was a healthy diet for him may have been far from what should have been the right diet for him. You get what I'm trying to say here? We suffer from ways of thinking that convince us of certain truths. And when things don't turn out our way, we just don't understand why. Why don't doctors uh, that are not uh, open to holistic health think that it's all junk because from their, their perception, they have no way of relating. They have no relatedness to it. You could explain the merits of natural health and give studies and all these things, but if you present them to an individual who has a black veil on and you're trying to give them a rose-colored look at things, it won't work. It's going to cancel out. The facts are that when a person is not understanding or, or, or agreeing with you, it's because they haven't heard what they need to hear in the way they need to hear it for them to say, oh, well, wow, okay, got it. It's, you know, some people can get that after 20 years of thinking in a horrible way and then one day, boom, they change and they're a new person. And other people never get it. People will say things like, oh, it'll come in time. Of course, that's nonsense. Since time doesn't exist, it's an invention of the mind. 
Einstein wrote a book all about time in a book actually called Dreams where he dreamt of different scenarios of time, uh, which he then discussed shows that there is no time, there is our relatedness to time. And in fact, if we're related to time in a particular way, if we perceive time in a particular way, it even affects our aging. Deepak Chopra talked about that briefly in his book Quantum Healing years back. He talked about a study where they took a bunch of old people in their 70s and up, and they put them in an environment that was controlled, and they had pictures of them on their lapels of when they were younger, and they fed them that way, and the music playing on the radio around them was when, during their time. And at the end of this time frame, they were in there, I don't know, maybe it was 30 days, please don't quote me on that, their whole physiologic makeup, their blood pressure, their appearance, their, their photos, they looked a decade younger, some of these people. How you perceive time. Now, I suppose the people who hated their younger uh, lives and, then, and the music reminded them of that hatred and stress and whatever was not right about their lives, they, of course, would age very differently. That's true, too. That's what stress tends to do to our, our bodies. If we think of the past and it stresses us out, we literally are reliving it, literally now. The nervous system does not know the difference between the physiologic reactions to stress, whether the stress is in your mind or whether the stress is actually happening. And remember, there is no stress. That's another problem with language. This is semantics. What do you mean there is no stress, some of you are saying? Well, stuff happens. Car accidents happen, murders, rapes happen, terrible things happen, I would say. I label it as terrible. But people who are psychotic, for example, it's not terrible to them. I'm generalizing. <laughs> but uh, my point is a real one. We apply meaning to things. Things have no meaning except that to which we apply. So, most of us listening to this show, we agree. We belong to the same club. We are choosing to believe something about this holistic stuff, about this natural stuff, and we believe it to our core. I believe it, but I'm also admitting that it is a belief I have. It's not necessarily the truth. One might argue if holistic health was the truth and we were practicing it and eating a certain way perfectly and taking the right supplements and all these things that it would always work, but it doesn't. It may not work most of the time. I can't tell you if it does or doesn't. I don't think anyone knows that. You might say, well, I think I know that. I, I have a doctor who says that his or her results are phenomenal. They help almost everybody. Well, what does that have to do with the next practitioner or the next practitioner or the next practitioner? And then again, when people say to me, Dr. Wald, can you, can you give me some referrals? Because if you help me, then I'm going to refer others to you. And then I say, a little, a little jokingly, but with 100% seriousness, but what if I don't help you and I could have helped your friends? Would you mind referring them to me now? <laughs> and uh, they look at me straight, straight-faced. Uh, then they laugh, a little, sometimes. So uh, that is the truth, though. Sometimes I can help someone with cancer more than I can help ingrown toenails. And that is the truth of that. All right. So let's talk about every organ and its relatedness for what that's worth. So I'm going to just make a few general statements and I'm going to ask you to accept them. Now remember, 
some non-trained MD in an ivory tower might not accept these basic tenants. But if you do, then the rest of the conversation about the different organs and how they relate will mean something to you. I could give this same presentation at a medical school. Well, I'll tell you what, I have presented talks like this at medical schools. And you know what happens? There's this psychological phenomenon of um, context and agreement, the, the agreement bias. And you know what it says? It says that if most people agree, then that is the assumed truth. That's another psychological bias. But my point is that I have talked about probiotics and enzymes and inflammation and nutrition and cancer in hospitals and in health centers and medical, uh, different medical arenas. And when I talk about the very same things within those contexts, they think I'm a genius. They've never heard anything like it, but because they are hearing it by someone in their ivory tower who it must be correct if, if this is person is saying this in here. And of course, they don't even psychologically or consciously, I should say, even think of that. They just accept it. When I was in medical school and doing medical rounds uh, at a hospital in New Jersey, I had a conversation with the chief of GI, wonderful guy. And uh, we were talking about probiotics, and I convinced him that practically all of his patients should be on probiotics. To you, it's common sense, but not to him, because they weren't recommended in the hospital setting, uh, except on rare occasion. So I went to every floor of that hospital's computer behind the nursing desk, and I opened it up to Medline, the National Library of Medicine, to a study on probiotics and the health benefits, and I just kept it open on every single floor. And people started seeing it because they started writing orders for probiotics like overnight. How did I know? Well, because I went down to the pharmacy and I asked them, do you have probiotics here? He says, yes. And in fact, I need to order more because for some reason, I'm getting all kinds of scripts for them. And folks, there might have been 99 negative studies against probiotics and one positive one, but I put the positive one up. The point I'm trying to say is that we are so easily influenced that it takes a lot, and I'm, I'm not professing to tell you what it's going to take for us to get this right. Okay, back to those fundamental aspects of, of influence upon our, our bodies. Number one, and I'm going to stick to the physical body. I'm not going to talk about electromagnetic influences and shifts in the universe. Uh, I'm not going to talk about those things, but I am going to say that we know that basic nutrition is a fundamental concept of healing of the body. And you might say, well, no kidding, uh, Dr. Wald. And then I would tell you that, well, if that was so common sense, they would do, be doing a better job in traditional medicine and in a lot of arenas of healthcare to apply proper nutrition. And as uh, one of my degrees is as a dietitian, and I am not proud of the information that, that I, have, uh, I was trained to uh, relate as a dietitian. It wasn't until I really got into practice almost 29 years ago that I went through a lot of trial and error and a lot of people to try to figure out what people need. So nutrition is fundamental. Our proteins, our carbohydrates, and our fats. 
You are not what you eat, remember? You're what you absorb from what you eat and what you activate from what you eat. So, what kind of diet do you need? I don't know. Maybe it's more of a vegan diet. Maybe for some of you, it's more vegetarian. Maybe others, you need a higher animal product for some reason. And this goes beyond blood typing. First of all, blood typing is entirely unscientific. There is no evidence for it at all. Not even a stitch. And some of you are saying, no, 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 I know it works. I tried it. Well, you know, I have seen people trying these diets for decades. And I've looked at their chemistries. And overall, their chemistries are horrible. They might even feel better, but that doesn't mean they're better. And a lot of them did not feel better, particularly not for long enough that they can look back and say, I'm better. So I don't know. I have to figure out what people's foods should be, and they may need to change it. I just started lifting weights much more heavily because I just felt like it. My son is a natural bodybuilder. I wanted to hang out with him more. And unless I was pushing heavy weights, he probably wouldn't hang out with me. So I started to do that. So I had to change my protein intake, which meant I had to change my carbohydrate intake and my fat intake and my supplements and my nutrition timing. Nutrition timing is not just something you do in sports. You do that in any health condition. It can make the difference. We don't have time to go over what that actually means today. But keep it in mind, then there is the pH of the body. The pH of the body is determined by all of your organs and how they work together. Again, we're only talking about the body. Could your pH in your blood be affected by, um, affected by, let's say, electromagnetic radiation? The answer is yes, conceivably it could be. But I mean to tell you that every organ secretes their secretions in a soup and that gives you your pH. For those of you, again, who have not listened to my pH live show, you need to do that because you're, many of you are still thinking wrong about pH. You're thinking about saliva pHs and urine pHs, and urine is important for UTIs, urinary tract infections. But if you're basing entire protocols and ways you're eating and your lifestyle uh, on saliva and urine only, you're, you're getting it wrong. And blood pH doesn't change like the other pHs. So you need to listen to the show, please. So if... You are getting proper holistic balancing of your body's systems. You will have a pH that should be somewhere between 7.35 and 7.45. Unless you have a neurological disorder, which means your pH should probably be, guess what, which way? Wrong. It should probably be lower, more acid for Parkinson's, for Alzheimer's, for neuropathies, for dementia, for multiple sclerosis things like that, seizures. For cancer, your blood pH probably should be a bit higher than 7.45, okay? We also know that all of our organs respond to inflammation. And it's not like inflammation is some independent phenomenon of how your body works. Oh, inflammation happened, Dr. Wall. That's, the, that's what happened. How? Well, maybe, well, I'll give you the answer. Maybe inflammation happened because you were deficient in certain healthy fats. So that reduced the fats in your cell membranes, which are made of fats, and that caused inflammation mostly in your, your renal system or your kidneys. You see, inflammation is a phenomenon that is always secondary to other things. And this whole other semantic mistake of cause and effect, 
that also commonly is misleading. There could be multiple causes at one time. Who, who's, who made up the rule that there's one thing that causes everything? Um, sometimes it seems that way, like uh, you, you're infected with a bacteria and then you get sick. So that seems to be cause and effect. And, and maybe that is in, in that person. And in another person, they're not at all affected by that bacteria, so they don't get sick. Uh, and But let's say that bacterial infection causes inflammation and immune hyperreactivity and the sniffles and fatigue. So people say, well, well, what I need to do is take nutrition that's antibacterial, like a probiotic or echinacea or astragalus or golden seal or something like that. That sounds right and could be right, but what if the infection caused specific kinds of problems that required nutrition that was not on the list I just gave you. I just spoke with a person. I, I don't know her. She called me out of the blue with environmental chemical sensitivity. She said, do you treat these things, etc., etc." She says, I read all of these online protocols of what I'm supposed to do. And some people say it's caused by nitric oxide problems. And other people say I can get rid of it with uh, intranasal glutathione. And I said, nonsense. I said, and I also told her the truth because I could tell she was smart. I said, you're smart, so I'm not going to not tell you the truth. Whenever you read these things online, you have to realize they have nothing to do with you. You have to realize that there's almost never one thing a person needs to do or a protocol that's somehow going to match your needs. Like, what would be the chances of that? That's highly improbable, particularly the specific things she was saying. It took about 15 minutes for her, for me to keep pointing out these silly generalizations. Like, Dr. Wald, what do you think the, the problem is, the cure is for environmental chemical sensitivities? I read about this researcher guy and he said it's nitric oxide. I'm like, well, nitric oxide has to do with arginine and nitric oxide uh, if having to do with arginine, arginine is an amino acid, and that's maybe in that's in proteins in our diet, and maybe the the cause is malabsorbing of the proteins. But then what caused that? So I tried to point out to her, she needs to back up because this type of a person, and I don't profess to know her, but I'm going to categorize her. And I've been doing this for 29 years. They jump from one thing to another, and before they know it, it's 10 and 15 and 20 years later and $100,000 later of wasted money and effort, and they're still sick. And somehow it didn't occur to them to be specific because – and by the way, folks, this is not an uncommon thing. I hear this all the time from very smart people, even some of you that have listened to the show and contacted me. You are not understanding – that you actually are unique. I know you get it on some level. Some of you really get it. But if you were really getting it, you would have to look at your chemistry. You would have to acknowledge that your food intake and your lifestyle and your stress and your sleep would need to be adjusted and changed maybe often in order for you to build health. Okay. So nutrition, fundamental for all organ function. pH, fundamental for all organ function and influences all organ function. It's always a two-way equation, folks. Always a two-way equation. We know that inflammation can degenerate the body, can regenerate the body, and doesn't happen by itself out of nowhere. 
a fire doesn't just start, well, it could just start in our perception of it, but there's always explanations for, and that's an easy one, of why a fire might start. Uh, meaning that if one starts in a forest, you know, spontaneously, we know that it could be from the, the sun, obviously, and how those sun rays are hitting certain leaves and or wood at a certain angle, and then things go poof. I don't profess to be an expert on, uh, you know, naturally induced fires. What I'm trying to say, though, is that if we get bogged down in treating inflammation like an independent thing, remember, the fire analogy is inflammation. If we say, okay, well, I will take a supplement that says anti-inflammation on it. But what, again, if you don't need those things, then it doesn't work. What if you try it, like this woman on the phone said to me, but I, I tried these other things, they didn't work. And I was so curious how she would think they could even work. Because there were one or two things that, again, were not even based on her needs. I said, well, how did you dose yourself? She says, well, I followed the instructions on the label. Some things I took more of that than the doctor said because it wasn't working, but it still never worked. I'm like, well, maybe that's the wrong stuff or maybe it's the quality of what you were taking or maybe you took it out of context with the right diet, sleep, stress, exercise, blah, blah, blah. I know you're thinking this is, impo- this is so hard to do. This is so impossible. How, how do you get this right? Take a step back and I'll tell you how sometimes this is how you get it right. You... Do something simple. This is what I do. When a person explains to me their health issues, I first have them fill out detailed health questionnaires, a lot of questions. Then I review those questionnaires if they follow my instructions and send them to me before they come in. And I draw all of their issues as I understand them from their responses in different areas on a piece of paper, the immune area, the toxin area, the pH area, the nervous system area, the lymphatic area, the blood vessel area, the liver area, the GI area, the adrenal area, the thyroid area, the brain area, the pancreas area, etc., etc., etc. I do that because the mind jumbles things up and it forgets. I hate forgetting. So, but I acknowledge I forget. So by putting things down on a physical piece of paper inside of a structure, I get to separate them out so I can see them clearly, but I don't forget or think of, uh, of that structure on paper from taking away of the holisticness, holistic uh, nature of all of it. So for example, if someone has dementia or, or minimal brain dysfunction, they can't remember where they put their keys, they're forgetting what they ate for breakfast, they can't get names, maybe that's related to their nervous system, their brains, obviously. One lady said to me, yeah, my neurons, I I think they're dying. Right, maybe they're dying because you have hardening of your arteries, the arteries that go to your brain. So we need to treat that. Not, here's a supplement for your nerves. You get it? Okay. Then, there is oxidation, antioxidation. So, this lady tonight had another common mistake. She says, well... I'm taking reduced glutathione. That's like saying I'm taking vitamin C as an antioxidant. I'm taking vitamin E as an antioxidant. I'm taking lipoic acid and selenium as antioxidants. Know what the problem is, folks? Semantically, that is wrong because it's not only 
what you take in orally that determines whether or not something is an antioxidant. It's what happens when that is metabolized and the system to which that substance or substances are put into or placed into. So if you, it's common for people, for a lot of people, maybe most people, I've heard it say, but I don't know if that's really true, that vitamin C intakes of 500 milligrams or less almost always act as oxidants, which is bad, right? Okay, let's go with that for a second. Most of you have been taught that antioxidants are good, right? Antioxidants, good stuff. So oxidants, most people have not thought much about those. That is bad, except it's not true. For example, when cancer cells die off through a natural process called apoptosis, programmed cell death, that usually involves oxidation. So my point is, if you throw a bunch of so-called antioxidants in a body that is swimming in oxidation, it's like throwing a bunch of uh, chocolates in, in, in like a, um, into a, a lake, but a boiling lake. It's going to be dissolved in a second and won't have a chance of acting like the way it was supposed to. So this woman on the phone says, yeah, and I've been taking uh, the glut reduced glutathione because it's an antioxidant. And I said, well, how do you know? She says, what do you mean? It's reduced glutathione. I said, well, have you confirmed that with the company? That, I admit, I was just playing around a little bit because it doesn't matter what the company tells you unless you've got a full disclosure label, which is something that really tells you what the assay told you. Remember, most people, all they know about supplementation is what they heard on the radio, the reputation of the company, which means zero. Remember, the, the agreement bias... If everyone says it's good or true, what's the right way of thinking, it, then it is, right? Wrong. Absolutely wrong. Have you ever sat in a room with a group of people who uh, made a, uh, an agreement that this is the way that uh, the company should work, for example, and you really felt it was wrong, but because you felt embarrassed or what have you, you did not express things. Maybe you felt you were wrong. You had to be wrong. Because how could all of these people be right and you, and you not be wrong, except you could have been right? So these are interesting concepts, but they're more than concepts. These are, they, they determine, in my experience, for what that's worth, they determine who gets better and who does not. It's commonly these smaller things, these smaller distinctions that really get to the nitty-gritty, as they say. We all age differently. All of our organs age differently. For example, in human beings, it's our kidneys that tend to age faster than other organs. So when a person is in their 50s to 60s, is very common for their renal function tests on the blood work to show um, slight abnormalities, the doctors like to say. And when they say slight abnormalities, that's another semantic boo-boo. You know why? Slightly abnormal creatinine clearance, which is the kidney test, that means that the person has lost 30% 
of their renal function on average, 30%. Why? How is that possible? Because of the test's sensitivity or lack thereof. Meaning, the kidneys degenerate, 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 and they get to a point where they finally lose 30% and then the test shows something. It rears its ugly head just slightly. No different, as I explained to my patients, that by the time a woman feels a nodule in her breast, breast cancer, well, I'm saying breast cancer specifically, or there is something visible on uh, mammography, that's five years of growth. Five years. So the sensitivity of some tests really is bad. Very important. It, it is my job, I make it my job, to understand the, the benefits of testing, but also the shortcomings. People say to me, Dr. Wool, but you're not recommending any tests to me? You're the blood detective. How is that true? You wrote a 500-page text called the Anti-Aging Encyclopedia of Tests and Natural Treatments. How could, how could you not recommend tests? Because sometimes you can figure things out by talking to a person for a long time and then try, trying things. I had another patient say, but Dr. Wall, this, this is like, sounds like trial and error. They said it like it was a bad thing. I said, well, it is. Um, we, we get to a certain point, but then we have to try things and then adjust things based on your efforts. And this person, in his thinking, um, really expected that I might provide him exact advice that would be 100% correct. Folks, that doesn't exist. I mean, it happens from time to time, of course. But no, there, it's trial and error, but you need to get into the ballpark, hopefully. That's, that's the goal. You ask enough questions, maybe you do do some tests. And then you're like, okay, I think it's these few things, so now I gotta work on stuff. Some people, and again, this is all based on expectations. They have an expectation that they will cure everything under the sun with natural medicine. And we have, I have other people who reluctantly come to me. I mean, they're they dragged into my office because they, their medicine has failed them. Maybe it was their cancer or something else and it hasn't worked and they're seeing me now, uh, last resort. I get a lot of that. My point is that it is very, very important to clarify, even write down on a piece of paper, what your expectations are. Because when I review that with, with people who see me, if we're on the same page in terms of expectations, we can make, the better, we can make better choices. You know, the whole purpose beyond, behind me starting the show with semantics and, and having, you know, talking about uh, perception uh, being a personal thing and our choices and our expectations is so that ultimately we can make better choices in our lives. Okay. One last thing to say about that is I had, I remember their faces perfectly and they're all dead. Every one of them. I remember nine particular individuals who were in love with natural health care. And they all had a cancer diagnosis. A handful of them had a level of cancer that was easily surgically removed. But 
they did not avail themselves of the traditional standard of care of either surgery, radiation, or chemo, or a combination. Now, I am not saying, well, here's just the what happened. They did not do any of the standard of care, and they all died. Am I trying to say that if you don't do the standard of care, if you have cancer, that you're going to die? I am not saying that. Okay, disclaimer, I'm not saying that. I am saying follow your doctor's orders, obviously, or at least uh, listen to them and make your own choices. But I am saying is that a good number of these people, roughly half, would have been alive if they simply got that area of the body cut out and then a few other people would have been alive based on statistics and a base, based on what their individual cases looked like if they had some radiation and, and then surgery. All of these people had one thing in common. Well, they listened to a show like this, but not this show, um, and not a show that is um, airing any longer, that basically said that everything in medicine was bad. Everything was bad. And remember what we said earlier about generalizations? Don't believe them. Because when you think about everything being bad, you throw out the baby with the bathwater. It's just not true, in, 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 at least in, in, not in medicine. And can I, can, can I point out examples of if people would have done natural therapies a certain way, how they would also be alive? Yes, I think I could do that. What I'm trying to say is, if we are open-minded to what is available and not close-minded to anything, we simply have more choices. Why just cut it off? Some people do cut natural med I'm sorry, regular medicine off because they just, for some reason, just hate medicine. Maybe because, as one patient told me, they killed my mother. You know, she, she died in a hospital alone getting chemo. And my first thought was, the doctors didn't give your mom cancer. Your mom ultimately did choose chemo, but she had metastasis in her whole body. The, you know, you, not many people walk away from that. This is all in my head. So the, the, the thing here was that she was suffering her whole life because she generalized and made it, you know, death happens. And yes, we have our choices, but her mom made her choices. There's a lot more to say there, of course. So we were talking about oxidation, antioxidation. So testing is actually important there for determining whether or not someone is using those so-called antioxidants as antioxidants or if you need an oxidizing effect in the body for breaking down of old and abnormal and dying cells, then you get that happening. And I was mentioning too that people age differently. The, the kidneys age faster than most organs in lots of individuals, not in everyone. And they don't have to age this way. None of us age the same. And aging is affected by a multitude of factors. Again, genetics, the foods we eat, electromagnetic stuff, our sleep, our stress, our environment, just like that Deepak Chopra study, everyone was in a, a nice, happy environment. They all seem to age differently. That's perception as well. Um, and then there's the effect of hormones and toxins. All of these, those basic things affect our aging of our body and determine which of us live longer during, during the non-disability stage of life, which is that part of your life where you are capable of doing things. 
All right. For those of you who are just joining us now, what happened to you? <laughs> We're late in the show. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. If you want to reach me with uh, questions or comments, uh, send it to the following email, info at blooddetective.com. That's info at blooddetective.com. You can listen to other radio shows and watch other videos of mine. And there's a ton of content on my website at intmedny.com, intmedny.com. Or if you want to work with me personally, you can do that uh, either at a distance. Um, I have patients in other states, other countries, or face-to-face. I'm in Katona. I'm an hour north of New York City. And you can do that also by emailing me at info at blooddetective.com, and we can set that up. So we're talking about every organ of your body and uh, some fundamental health concepts that have to do with how everything relates in the body and how everything heals. And um, that whole uh, discussion of semantics and relatedness to the body and the proper use of language is so you form better mental and emotional evaluations of things so you make smarter healthcare choices. What I like to call smarter blood detective healthcare choices, to be your own best blood detective. Let's do a rundown through all the major organ systems and uh, talk about some connectedness. So again, the brain controls everything and is also affected by everything. And is this true of every organ? Mm, Well, on on a macro level, no, uh, someone might have, let's say, pancreatic cancer, but um, their brain might be just fine. Um, it, maybe the brain is affected on some level, but it may not be obvious. So, I mean, it's least least conceivable that not every organ goes awry when another organ's affected by it. But the brain does supply nerve supply to every organ. So. Does the brain have an effect upon immunity? Yes, because there are nerves from the brain and the spinal cord that go into the bone marrow and also to the small intestine. The small intestine contains 70% of our immune systems, the bone marrow the other. And I guess there's, there could even be more than you know uh, other areas that we don't know of yet. And then there's the anterior pituitary, just one small part of the brain and brain stem that produces tons of different um, uh, hormone precursors like we all talk about thyroid stimulating hormone, which is, which is very important. And thyroid stimulating hormone is made in the brain, but it's also told to do by a hormone produced higher up called thyroid releasing hormone. But hormones impact virtually all organs in different ways. Most of us have a very limited uh, concept of, of hormones. They affect reproduction. Um, they affect um, masculinization um, and, and female um, characteristics as well, but they affect immunity, tissue structure, healing, repair. The list goes on and on. So when I work with people, I attempt to balance out as much as I can um, given these natural relationships. So when I did my, my rotation in, um, in gynecology, I worked with a holistic guy who was a wonderful person and he gave me his time and his energy. But the problem with that rotation was he thought that every hormonal, first of all, everything he saw, it was a hormone problem. It wasn't actually that, but that's all he could see. Get it? Just like if you go to someone who only treats Lyme disease or professes to be an expert in Lyme disease, everyone's got Lyme disease. Everyone's got it and you may not. You may not. So again, don't, stay with me. So with this OB thing, people may have had 
actual hormonal problems, but because they had gastrointestinal problems as a cause. Or they may have had hormonal problems because of their emotional stress. But he didn't deal with any of that. So what's holistic about that? Nothing. Nothing at all. A holistic practitioner, in my perspective, uh, in my humble um, perspective, must give credence to everything as much as possible. And as difficult as that is, that's why I use tons of different questionnaires. And I use them over and over again. And I listen to people. And I look up things I don't understand. And I continue to look at all of the notes I have on a person before I see them, during when I see them, and when they're away, and then I finalize my notes because constant, constant exposure makes things that were right in front of your face that you didn't see before very obvious. Isn't that interesting about perception? Okay, let's go down the list more. The thyroid gland. The thyroid gland is told what to do by the anterior pituitary. The thyroid gland talks to the adrenal glands. These glands talk not only to other hormonally secreting glands, but many other systems. So for example, if your adrenal glands are stressed, either hyperfunctioning or hypofunctioning, they produce symptoms by activating the sympathetic or the parasympathetic nervous systems, which activate tons of neurotransmitters and other, other hormone effects and a cascade of events that can uh, impact you in, in many, many different ways. So if you're getting just treated for a thyroid problem or just an adrenal problem, uh, it's, it's, it's inherently just wrong. And then we say the liver is the major organ of detoxification. Yeah, it is a, an important organ of detoxification, but there are several organs of detoxification. There's the liver, there's the kidneys, there are major organs of detox, the lungs, the cardiovascular system, the skin, the lymphatic system, we're not even done there. Um, the gastrointestinal system. So if there isn't some attention paid to all or some of these systems when a person has certain health issues, then again, it's just incomplete. Um, the lymphatic system. We know the lymphatic system clears up a lot of dead debris stuff and pumps it out through the venous system um, and then through the intestinal tract out through the stool. That's how part of it works. So um, a lot of those those pathways that are related must be working. Otherwise, things get backed up. And we don't want to be too simplistic in how we deal with, let's say, toxicity, which is affected by and affects all organs. Let's say you want to do a colonic. Is that going to detox your brain, let's say, of aluminum? No. You might have thought it would. It might not even detox your intestinal tract that well. Even if you remove everything that's in your intestinal tract, well, first of all, that's the problem with colonics. They stretch out the colonic wall. They stress out the muscular layers. They contract less well. Things get more backed up. The colonic removes the mucociliary protective immune layer, and it's gone for months or years or forever. Putting some tea leaves in there and some herbs and some probiotics is not going to fix that. You want to fix things from inside is what I would say. And if someone's got a better theory as to why they should use colonics, please let me know. The only one I can come up with is I have a patient with spinal cord injury that there's no nerves to the bowels. They're not moving. So that needs a colonic. And what about the pancreas? The pancreas is an organ of hormone balance and a digestive organ. It, it, a digestive organ. The pancreas secretes insulin, which you know, takes glucose out of the blood, puts it in cells, but is also the part of the pancreas that secretes protein, carbohydrate, and fat-digesting enzymes. And that organ 
influences how the small intestine works because the pancreas has a, has a duct in it, a tube that goes into the small intestine and is given uh, neurohormonal signals from the entire body when food enters the, the gut and not just when food enters the gut, but then the pancreas gets these signals and then it secretes the amount of bicarbonate it needs to secrete in the small intestine and the amount of enzymes it needs. And of course, if that's not happening, then digestion's not happening properly. And if digestion's not happening properly, the intestinal lining gets inflamed and stressed. It becomes leaky. The malabsorption happens. Small intestine bacterial overgrowth happens, etc., 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 affecting everything holistically. Okay. Then there is uh, the blood vessels, the arteries and the veins. What is so fascinating to me is that I've had people with hormonal problems, thyroid problems, adrenal problems, multiple hormone problems. And the cause of those hormone problems was hardening of the arteries, vascular disease, because the little capillaries, the blood vessels going to that area of the brain, which controlled the hormones, wasn't working. And they were taking natural hormones and why wasn't it working and things seemed to work for a little while then they weren't. Also, a lot of constipa constipation is a very common problem of individuals over 50 because of hardening of the arteries supplying, you know, uh, interfering with the blood supply to the intestinal tract, but also because of nervous system dysfunction. When the nervous system doesn't work, which is your brain and the nerves that go to all your organs, if those, those nerves go to your intestinal tract and the, the nervous system doesn't work very well, things can slow down. You see that? So sometimes the treatment for constipation needs to be a nervous system treatment or it may need to be a blood vessel treatment. And I'm still oversimplifying as you all know because we're all experts in semantics now and how we realize all this, these things connect to other things and when it gets down to it, we want to see the biggest picture that we can because I think if we have the clearest picture possible, it probably will do us some good. It doesn't always. There's no guarantees that it will. Okay, so that's what we have time for today. This was a talk about how to think through the holistic nature of the body to make smarter choices. I want to thank you all for listening. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. This is Ask the Blood Detective. Again, my contact information, send me the radio show topics to info at blooddetective.com, info at blooddetective.com. You can also contact me there. If you want to see me as a patient, you can call me at 914-552-1442. Go to the website, lots of free content, intmedny.com. Thank you so much and see you next week. Show me.